Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. So welcome to episode three of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. Richard, what games are we going to be talking about this week? This week, we're going to be talking about Martians, and... It is our long-awaited rant, the one that we promised. Although it's going to be a bit more specific than we thought, because it's mainly going to be about the rulebook, uh, rather than the game itself. And then the other game we're going to be talking about is Tragedy Looper. Yep, and this week in Bard Corner, we're going to be talking about new releases and new tour dates. In Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're going to be handling another big issue. Which science fiction vessel, or ship, would you live on? And finally, in Tome Talk, we'll be looking at one of Bernard Cornwall's historical fiction novels, The Last Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So Richard, what have you been up to lately? Like I was talking about in uh, Tome Talk uh, last week, um, I've been focusing on uh, classic sci-fi quite a bit. and actually managed to find a lot of Arthur C. Clarke books and a few Asimov ones um, at a charity shop. And... Um, it's the thing about it is they are kind of old releases. Mm. It's like kind of the the classic paperback type ones that look really like classic sci-fi, a bit like on um, Alien Frontiers. It's mm. like they are that kind of kind of classic, um, the look of them and everything. So it's really and they've been looked after really well. And the thing was, it's the Asimov ones are the entire Space Ranger series, and one was missing. But then I went back a few days later and um, the missing one was there. And somebody had sorted it out. So like, it's a complete set now. So so that was a, a great find. And I think they didn't really know how good they were. You know, they, just put, they just put them on like normal books. So yeah. I do like it when you get a complete set of books in one go. I mean, over the years for my book collection, there's times when I thought, oh, I, I quite like this, but it's part of a trilogy. Mm. It's like book two or book three. You think, Shall I take a gamble on yeah, getting this and get then being able to find the others? Mm. And sometimes it's taken me years to get a complete trilogy <laughs> together. Mm. Um, but it's it feels good when you do. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, I I might end up talking about some of them in uh, in Tome Talk another week. Um, because, yeah, it looks like they would be uh, good ones to talk about. Yeah, Yeah, my sister came up from Wales, didn't she? And we played a couple of games with them. Some of them, I think, she'd played played before. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of coup going around, wasn't there? Was there? Yeah, that was interesting. Oh, nice. Uh, little sister one, which is kind of <laughs> <laughs> she found a little insulting that we're all very surprised at. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's whoever can bluff the best, isn't it? On that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. she's good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, good. And. Um, uh, we went to Warhammer World as well, didn't we, with some friends from London yeah. that we were up visiting. So we went there and had a, mm. had a meal, which was nice. Oh, had a nice. wander around. That's good. Um, Didn't scare the kids with the orcs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got yeah. to see Logan, mm-hmm. uh, which was probably the first true Wolverine film. <laughs> right, yeah. It's the first time you've seen the character really strongly depicted. And it's a very different take on, on a superhero film as well, because... Uh, generally you've got superheroes in their prime fighting off the bad guys and in this it's largely about the other side of that the human element mm. of you know facing old age and and looking after somebody who's ill and yeah, yeah and parenthood 
that's a spoiler. Uh, so I've not yeah, seen it's, it yet. It's, <laughs> there's some really interesting differences to this one, but on mm. top of that, the fight scenes were the first true Wolverine ones. Mm. And of course, um, I acquired a new hat. What? Did you? Nobody noticed. Oh dear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just blends in so well. Yeah. yeah. Heather said I look like Cthulhu's pimp. <laughs> oh, is well, that, that's a record now. Got Cthulhu at the front there. So yeah, okay. <laughs> Definitely look like somebody's pimp. <laughs> yeah. He sleeps in it. <laughs> so, there we go. On with the show. <laughs> okay, welcome to our quest report. And this time, um, we're going to like fulfil a promise that we made right back in the first episode where we said we would have a rant about Martians. Now that's a callback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Martians is a game by, I'm going to read these names, Krzysztof Wolitski and Grzegorz Oklinski. We tried to play this a few weeks ago and we had the instruction manual out, didn't we? And we had the entire game out actually on the table. And we started reading the instructions. Actually, you'd been reading them earlier on in the day and not really got very far with them. And it was just completely incomprehensible. And this has been actually translated from Polish, hasn't it? And Mm -hmm. we can kind of tell that. But even without the slightly odd sentences, it was very difficult to understand what was going on. And the, the... You know, we could see right from the start that there was likely to be problems here. I mean, um, one of the first things you see when you open the rule book is the newspapers. Oh yeah. Uh, there's the newspaper segments which are before the actual game. They're, not, they're just fluff, really. To give aren't it they? a bit of story. Yeah. yeah. They're not actually part. They're not essential to the game itself in any way, shape, or form. Mm. However, yeah, you look at the first paragraph in the newspaper, and it goes on for nearly three lines, and then just starts right from the beginning again <laughs> yeah There's some really bad editing here actually yeah I, I noticed a few of that like the the newspaper articles were really long-winded and didn't actually say much um, just as an example um the amended schedule and mission objectives include an acceleration of future flights thanks to raised funds so that's just it's a very strange way of putting it mm. and um yeah it doesn't it was, really seem like a newspaper it was a very strong hint right from the start that there was going to be problems with this mm-hmm. and then uh, but that in itself isn't isn't a problem isn't it it's once you get into the game setup really that it becomes a problem yeah um and for example when we were looking at the rule book and uh, how you set up the board and everything one minute it's talking about the water treatment center mm-hmm. and the next minute it's talking about the water treatment station yeah and it's just sort of like well this sometimes it's, it's calling things by different names within mm. the space of a sentence we had no way to know if they were different things. Yeah. And if you're going to make a rule book, you've got to get it right. And it's not just it's not just about the translation here, is it? Mm-hmm. It's it's just badly laid out. Certain things yeah. are badly explained. Well, just for an example, um, there are different modes of playing this game. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite a good feature, actually. Um, that's actually one of my favourite things about this game, the fact yeah. that you can play it in different So styles. we have the solo mode which probably would be quite good for getting to know how it actually works, wouldn't it, really? You can spend as much time as you need. Um, Then there's co-op, and then semi-co-op, where you're kind of working together, but your resources are your own, and you can choose whether to share them or not. And then there's competitive. But what they've done is, for the instructions, you've got just all these different columns 
on each page for each like game mode. Yeah. So every time you um, are trying to find out if like what the rule might be for something, you've got all these little boxes. So that's quite useful when you go back to clarify a rule. But when you're actually trying to just read the mm. the instructions and learn how to do them, to start with. You've um, also got the errata, haven't you? Yeah, there's the which errata as well. Comes uh, comes with the game. So they're kind of new that. Yeah, they, they knew that the, the mistakes had been made, mm -hmm. and there's frequently asked questions. Well, there's 27 before the game's even released, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, there's all the various clarifications for uh, certain pages, and even with that. That is still virtually incomprehensible at first. Well, there's the fact that we didn't manage it that first time. That, yeah. that kind of shows. Well, I'd, I'd read so much of the rule book before you came around that time. Mm. And then we tried to sit down and work it out together, which is something we sometimes do when we're looking at playing a game for the first time. And then on top of that, we then had to... I mean, we spent about an hour or two trying to get our heads around it. And in mm -hmm. the end, we just thought, shove it, let's play something else. This is just making us mad. <laughs> <laughs> and then we... Came, said right well we're going to go back to this at a later time mm -hmm. so we went through the rule book again I think I went through it twice uh, we watched a video uh, with Rado to look at how uh, he did his playthrough of it yeah and the video helped m a lot more than yeah. reading the rule book several times even though Rado himself at times was getting uh, was correcting himself as he was going along wasn't he yeah he was um, doing something but it still made more sense than the rule book <laughs> yeah well he, he put little corrections on the screen yeah so that really helped. his video was great actually um but we, yeah we big thought, shout out yeah i mean we thought he could probably slow down a bit he seemed to be rushing a lot that's um, because he didn't that's because he wanted to get away from this game as fast as he possibly could yeah maybe it was yeah <laughs> But I would be if his video had been like twice as long, but he kind of relaxed a bit. I would have still been quite happy to watch it, all. yeah, um, because it was quite good to see how it was played. Um, I don't think if if it hadn't been for that video, we wouldn't have managed it even that time no, as well. No, and I think the thing is here, we've got to because we're going to be talking in in a few moments about uh, the game itself, mm -hmm. and I think if you're designing a game, no matter how good the game is you've got to get the rule book right because if this is incomprehensible nobody's going to want to play your stinking game <laughs> I mean yeah. the amount of people I know who back this at Kickstarter were looking forward to it and then as soon as they saw how bad the rule book was they literally sold it on without even opening it mm. because well, they just they, thought they, yeah. they didn't want to spend so much effort trying to learn how to play your game mm. you know I game... do think they would have missed out on a good game by doing that, well, but then it's not really their fault. No, it's the fault <laughs> of the company. And yeah. if you're gonna, as I say, that getting your game rulebook right, whether it's translation, whether it's the way it's laid out, the way it's mm. explained, if you can't get that basic right, you shouldn't be putting that game out yeah. because, as I say, otherwise you bury and hide a good game. Now, there is a, uh, an update from Redim. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a statement, so I'll read this directly. This is what they've said. <laughs> Forgive the grammar. We are working hard on the new, better rulebook, taking into consideration all suggestions of people have already played the game. Okay. In other words, they're looking at it, mm -hmm. and we're going to be getting a new, better rulebook for this. Now, hopefully, that will be a rulebook that won't make me want to feed this to my pet wolf. <laughs> Matt wants to feed this to his pet wolf. Because this rulebook is the single worst rulebook 
I've ever had the mispleasure to have to sit and read through. That's okay. something. Yeah, and I and believe me, I've seen some dodgy and questionable rule books <laughs> in my time. But the last thing I saw a book that bad, it had Stephanie Meyer's name all over it. <laughs> now, let's and I, I will say maybe she wrote this. When we, yeah. <laughs> it's not that bad. Okay. And, <laughs> and I will say that underneath this atrocious excuse for a rule book is actually a decent game. Yeah. And I think that's such a time. shame. It would have I would have mm. been happier if I'd got through this and the game itself was dreadful. Mm. Because then I would I would have felt I can complain all I want about the rule book and feel yeah. justified in hating the game. I wonder how much we just enjoyed the game because it was quite exhilarating to have managed to get through all that. <laughs> I wonder how much we enjoyed the game because we were no longer reading the rule book. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's that as well. Yeah, so normally we start these videos by explaining like the general rules of the game. But we thought this time we'd have to just explain that nobody knows how you play this game. Well, in fairness, mm. we did eventually manage to figure it out, wasn't it? And once we'd done so we're that, one of the few. it was yeah, <laughs> it, it did have a nice flow to the game. There were symbols mm. on the board which helped explain, you know, what things cost and what you were doing. Uh, but to put it simply, the game is objective based, isn't it? You are yeah. raising resources and then you're sending them to the base quarters on yeah. Mars uh, to remove. To cure diseases, to provide oxygen for your yeah. people, to provide food. And the way you do that is by producing resources, by taking actions on the board. Mm -hmm. uh, they give you resources. You then use those resources uh, to convert them to food, medicine, oxygen by taking other actions. And then yeah. you send that to your quarters. And at the start of each round, you get uh, hunger tokens, um, oxygen tokens and uh, disease the, tokens yeah. on the quarters and you're going through trying to remove those while yeah. at the same time that, that is completing an objective that needed to be more I don't think it should be called the oxygen token it should be called mm. like the suffocating token because <laughs> it isn't oxygen it's the token of, of asphyxiation <laughs> yeah so they are privatives these things it, it denotes so the hung, hunger token that's a bit more obvious but that oxygen mm. token I think that's a little bit misleading so yeah. basically when I saw that at first I was thinking oh this puts oxygen into the building and yeah. actually we're trying to then get rid of that and I was thinking yeah. we're monsters trying to suffocate our people but that's <laughs> not really what we were doing so what, what it basically is is we are the second lot of colonists yeah. that have come over so the colony is already built on Mars and people have been there for a few years mm. and then we go there just find out what state it's in and just we have a different objective each time. So the one we did... Was and there are loads of these, aren't there? The, yeah, the, that the is box. a good thing. So we just did Dust Gremlins, which is that's like the first one you meant to do, I yeah. suppose. Um, and there is this Moxie module. No, this The Moxie V3 uh, generator. Yeah, that's it. And it has modules, that's it. So the Moxie thing, that produces the oxygen. So by going to there and using it, mm. using energy there, you get to take away these anti-oxygen symbols and then your yeah. people can breathe yeah. and then at the end of the round which is a good thing dies. yeah breathing's it's all, it's good. All good yeah they should clarify that yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> i mean yeah. oxygen is the the you know the first thing the least thing mm. that you want from a from it a is really yeah and uh also in this scenario we were playing we as well as having to keep people alive and fed by getting resources to remove the tokens mm -hmm. we also had to fix the moxie generator because it was damaged mm -hmm. so we had to install new moxie modules yes um and there were a series of moxie failures and you had to install a new one for each one and there were five uh five four of those weren't there 
Yeah, so there were along this um, this objective card, there were the modules we had to repair. So, like while we were trying to mine and produce food and water, like you you get water from you mine these little crystals, and these are dirty ice. Yeah, and then you have to put them through the treatment facility, and like that's that's just to get the water, and yeah. then you can synthesize the water into medicine. That's quite yeah. like if everybody gets diseased, that's it's quite difficult to cure yeah. it. <laughs> And so you you doing this, and now it's a, a lot of this is basic worker placement, isn't it? In itself, yeah. at, at its heart, it's mm -hmm. a worker placement game. Um, yeah. So you have these little guys. Yep. That are the uh, your astronauts. They're kind of they would have been meeples, wouldn't they? Yeah. Like us, but, but you got upgraded. the uh, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and got to Kickstarter. And you get three of these mm -hmm. in your player color, and you can end up. Uh, with a fourth colonist as well, can't you? As well as having your three yeah, workers. Yeah, we didn't, did we? But no, we didn't. <laughs> if you do but really well, you can end up with a, a fourth one. Yeah, we didn't do that well. We did win the scenario, though. But they were dying and diseased. <laughs> <laughs> but the moxie generator was working. Yeah. It's just there's nobody they had their oxygen. oxygen. They for. had their oxygen. Um, but, yeah, we ended up beating the scenario. But um, the, one of the things that was interesting with this scenario as well was that you had, uh, until you'd fixed and installed certain modules, then you had uh, different random events that would come out mm -hmm. and that would cause you know certain effects yeah. based on which modules were still broken mm -hmm. uh, so that was that was a positive that was an interesting thing things i liked yeah. about this game i liked the time mechanic mm -hmm. i liked the way because you have three units of time don't you this is a great service that Matt's just doing to everybody <laughs> explaining what the time is on this game because they keep mentioning it in the rule book but I think there's one little sentence hidden somewhere that explains yeah. what it actually is. <laughs> Each player on their turn gets three units of time. Now, that can be modified um, by certain th effects in the game, and you can get upgrades that give you an, an extra unit of time. But you get three units of time, and you put your meeples out. Now, that's not three times as in one per meeple. You can maybe take an action with a single one of your uh, workers, mm -hmm. or meeples, or if little astronauts and in taking the action you might spend one two or, th or three of your time units mm -hmm. however whereas say a lot of worker placement games think of lords of water deep as an example mm -hmm. uh, once you've got all your guys on all your all your meeples or workers on the board at the end of the round you get to take them back mm -hmm. in this you have to take what's called a recreation action <laughs> yeah. which is where you spend one unit of time to recall all of your workers I don't know why it's called recreation yeah. I wonder if that's a mistranslation or something there's probably it's... not that much recreation on Mars <laughs> yeah. is there imagine they're just playing basketball on the way back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, you spend your unit of time and bring all your workers back so there's a lot of the time on your turn you're thinking about how you can get the most advantage from placing your workers on the board mm -hmm in order to spend the one unit of time because you don't necessarily spend that every turn because if you think well I've got this action I want to take and it's going to cost two of my time units I'm going to go there with that guy and then I'm going to take this action which doesn't cost time mm -hmm. uh, and you may end up sometimes bringing them back halfway through the next round depending on what you want to do yeah. and sending another one out yeah so you've got to try and maximise how you use that time and I think that is an interesting mechanic mm -hmm. I like the various modes uh, this, this has although I do think that with the competitive mode it would be very easy to go out of the game early on mm. and have to sit there for another two hours while people were playing this around yeah. you yeah maybe um, but I, the problem for me 
was that when we played this game, I was still feeling quite hostile towards it because of how bad the rule book was. Mm. Um, I am looking forward to seeing what Red Imp offer up as a new and improved rule book. But as I'm sure, I say, I'm sure we'll review it under under this. I'm, I can't. I'm not going to swear on this channel. Under this poor excuse of a rule book is actually a smooth game, a good game. Mm -hmm. It's quite versatile. Has lots of different scenarios, and actually a lot of the production quality is quite high, isn't it? We've got the mm -hmm. um, the 3D markers, for example. We've got the little astronauts. Um, we've also got, which came as an upgrade for the Kickstarter, we've got the 3D buildings, which add to oh, it yeah. because they just sit on the on the map in place of the printed artwork, don't they? Yeah, that made it a bit nicer. And uh, all the tokens and everything are fine. I think the the thing is here, there is, if you've got the patience, or if someone in your gaming group has got the patience, to work through this rule book on your behalf, and then just summarise the rules and explain it to you and get you get you going, this is actually a game I think people would probably quite enjoy if they like worker placement. Yeah, if they like that, or if they like kind of hardish sci-fi anyway, because um, that, that's one of the nice things I thought about it. Um, I like the idea of colonising Mars and kind of mm. encouraging that kind of thing anyway and thinking about what kind of problems we'd have if we were to colonise Mars as mm. well. I mean, it's it's not just about like getting air and water. It's, it's mm. very, very dangerous. And like the effort you have to go to just to not have people die between rounds. Yeah. I think it's... I, I felt it, we were really kind of accomplishing something each time mm. we got to the next round and that's what I really enjoyed like you say the worker placement aspect of it um, it was quite different so mm. it didn't feel like just playing a different game like a game we already kind of knew but mm. on Mars um, it did feel like its own unique type of game once we got into the game I did find it quite immersive I will say that you mm -hmm. know um, and there has been obvious comparisons I think to, to terraforming Mars by Stronghold Games and I think once you've played it, you realise that is entirely down to the fact that they're both set on Mars. The actual two games themselves are completely different games. You know, then they don't really deserve a comparison at all. If you like, if you like terraforming Mars, that's no reason to think you will like this, and vice versa. Right. Okay. Um, though, personally, I do think the components in this are a lot better than on terraforming Mars, but terraforming Mars probably has a, a better game. Mm -hmm. right. But as I say, if you manage to work through the rule book uh, and you get get through that, I would say that this is actually a decent game. It's mm -hmm. not. I I had thought I'm probably going to get rid of this because of how bad the rule book is, how much it annoyed me. But you know what? This is going to stay in the collection. Yeah, good. Richard, what were your final thoughts on the game? Um, well, like I said, I really like the theme and I did enjoy it. And I think I would be interested to find out what it's like. Maybe as a semi-co-op, or maybe a competitive. But um, I do, if I have the choice, I do generally prefer cooperative mm. games than competitive ones because I prefer us all wor working together against the environment rather than. It makes being, it more social, doesn't it? Yeah, more social and a bit more immersive. I think mm. because we're thinking about how we can actually overcome the problems mm. we've been talking about that rather than thinking about what the person across the table might be thinking or mm. thinking doing because that just takes me out of it just personally mm. so 
Yeah, I would yeah, like these, to... Yeah, these, these views are Richard's and not the views of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. No, that's it, only just if we've got the choice. I do yeah. like playing competitive games. Well, the but... thing is I like about this game is that you've, you've got the option. You mm. can play it competitive, you can play it cooperatively, yeah. you can play it solo. There's not that many games out there that have those four modes built into them. No, not many. Um... And someone was asking me this week, which, you know, what solo games would I recommend? that they could then play with other people if the opportunity arose. Yeah. And actually, I have to admit, this would probably make that list. Yeah. Provided that, you could again, you could get your head around the rulebook. Now, it may be that once this new rulebook comes out, that's not going to be a problem anymore. Mm. Um, but if you do have this game, stick with it. <laughs> Don't let the rulebook defeat you. Mm. If no, For no other reason than having the, the pride and joy of saying, I played this and I beat the rulebook. That, yeah, that was the real victory, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. More so than fixing that moxie generator. We read the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was our thoughts on this game. Mm. If you've tried it, if you've been put off by the rule book, uh, let us know in the comments what your experiences were. Mm. Thank you. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeple's Alive! And on this episode of the Quest Report, we're going to be talking about Tragedy Looper. Now, Tragedy Looper was a 2001 game originally released in Jap Japanese only. And then in 2014, Z-Man Games released it to the international audience with an English language copy. So, this is a game all about hidden roles, investigation, movement, and time travel. <laughs> Now, it describes itself as one of those Groundhog Day type games where the same events keep happening over and over. The, the objective of this is you've got uh, the protagonists who are trying to work out the roles of the various characters on the board. Um, and they do this by observing incidents and <clears throat> the effects that happen. Um, and they're trying to stop tragic incidents from happening mm. you know, by playing cards to move people to different locations and all sorts of things like that. So the players are divided into two groups, the protagonist mm -hmm. and the evil mastermind. So at this yeah. point, I want to see what the evil mastermind thinks. Well, it was fun being the evil mastermind. That's the main <laughs> thing about it. I mean, With you, his evil plans. Because you asked me earlier on if I wanted to be the protagonist or the evil mastermind, and that's, that's the one I chose. But, um, yeah, when it's kind of like being a, a GM kind of thing. Yeah. So the tragedies are going to happen. I mean, you, you were right saying you're trying to prevent the tragedies happening, but mm. you know you can't do it. And all you can do is um, watch what happens and then try to learn from it mm. and then when you loop back and restart the same events again um, you'll be, to tr be able to try something different and mm. see and like, it, that's where you're then trying to stop the tragedies because on the first loop you're just trying to figure out what's going on aren't you really yeah. you too mm. it's when you go back that you can use that knowledge to think okay well this happened this time yeah. so maybe this person's a killer this person's a victim this person's the key mm. person and you're trying to work it out and eventually stop you know the key person yeah. at least from dying aren't you yeah at least in that first scenario that we tried um, yeah there was a key person it became obvious who it was anyway <laughs> I don't want to do spoilers but the way it was set up it makes it very easy for the the um, antagonist or the evil overlord to actual actually um, 
like set up the scenario and to be able to control the characters. I think ordinarily in other scenarios you'd be left on your own a little bit. Mm. You just have to really know what you were doing. But in this one, it told me exactly where to move the cards mm. on the first move, and that really helped. Because what actually happened was, um, I just moved one character to another location, and it turned out that she was there with the serial killer. So you didn't know that this other character was a serial killer at that point. Mm-hmm. So then this key person died at the end of that round, or the end of that turn, and then we looped. So normally when a character mm. dies, it's not the it's not the end of that loop. Yeah, the loop was meant to last four days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a four-day <laughs> so loop. So we were on the first day, and then on the night of that day, um, this character got killed, and then we looped. And that told you that that character was the key character. And who, that the other person was the serial killer. Yes, yeah, so and you knew two roles straight away. Because you've got uh, this little sheet that you get with the game and in that it tells you some of the different roles mm-hmm. some of the different effects that are going to happen uh, so under serial killer it says mandatory day end exactly one other character in this location and that's the requirement to trigger that um, ability Yeah. That, char- that character dies so you can look at this and think okay well this person must be this person or could be this person because they've exhibited that ability in yeah. that situation mm. and so that you've got that to assist you and of course in the script that we played um, as you were saying it tells you what to do but then with later scripts it tells you what the roles are and who yeah. the characters are and then you as the evil mastermind will get to assign characters yeah. to those roles yeah you get to actually uh, decide what they do as well um and it did get more difficult, actually. It was only mm. that first move that it told you exactly what to do. Then for subsequent loops and different days in mm. that loop, it just gave you uh, guidelines of what strategy to use. Mm. But it was very dependent on what the players had done. Because yeah. obviously Matt and Heather were being the protagonists and they were trying to stop these people from dying. So <laughs> they were kind of moving them around. <laughs> Well, only a few of them died, didn't they? Um, most of the time it went to alright. But, um, yeah, so one of the roles was the serial killer, and that became very apparent when she killed somebody. But um, <laughs> one of the other things was after the end of one of the days, some of the characters got these um, paranoia tokens. So, I mean, I could put paranoia tokens onto characters, and that would kind of activate whatever their role was. Mm. So some of them could do a certain move because of their secret role, but they had to have enough paranoia tokens to do it. Um, So I could assign them, but sometimes during the night or the day end, some of the characters would get another uh, token because of their roles. Now, the one that this was happening to was the conspiracy theorist. Mm. So I think there were some people that were in the school, weren't it? There was the boy student yeah. and the police. Yeah, the police officer hung out in the school most of the time, which was yeah, kind of it was weird. a bit. Um, yeah, and it made the boy student and girl student uneasy because <laughs> they, they got the paranoia tokens. So all I could do was say like they are feeling a bit uneasy, yeah. and then you I didn't put have it to on. put them on the conspiracy theorists, did you? You could put them on people around the conspiracy. Yeah, theorists, if which somebody made it in that location yeah. would get one. Because he's either getting paranoid himself or he's talking about conspiracies to people and making them paranoid. So that's why that worked. And as the mastermind as well, you can put certain, you can put some of those tokens on some of the locations as well as people, can't you? Yeah. And then that can trigger mm. um, incidents as well to, that ha- then happen to everybody in those locations. Yeah, I did that sometimes, but 
I realised afterwards there wasn't any reason to do that in our particular mm. scenario. Um, one of them was because we had scheduled um, events that could happen, mm. weren't there? Incidents, I think they're called. They so each... T- because it's the idea is that they're looping through the same few days every mm. time. They would know that there's scheduled to be several incidents on those days. So on day two, there was going to be a murder, wasn't yeah. it? And day three, there was going to be a suicide. suicide. This is the kind of game this is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as it told me in the um, Mastermind Handbook, which I wish you had that for like real life, yeah. but um, it told me that I would have to tell them that, as you know, there is a murder scheduled for today, but it didn't happen. So then they would know that something mm. they had done had prevented this murder from happening. Mm. Or I could have said it almost happened, but then it didn't. Mm. And that would mean that the conditions were, for most of the conditions were fulfilled apart from one. So they would um, know whether they're getting close or, or not. <clears throat> it was similar with the, uh, the suicide one on day three. Um, that was the key character actually so um, in the book it like it sometimes said for my strategy was to try and put more paranoia tokens on her so that she suicides and it just felt mean <laughs> I still tried to do it but uh, <laughs> she didn't there wasn't actually any suicide there was it no time. no we prevented um, the suicide there's only the um, three possible loops there's only three loops on the first scenario so yeah. That first one just lasted one round, and it's suddenly like, oh, it's over already. Yeah. It, that was weird. And there can be more loops on um, more on on other scenarios, yeah, and there are, so. you can have a, you know different amounts of days per loop on mm. each scenario. So that's quite variance uh, variable. Uh, so, but basically, the the game comes down to trying to work out what the hidden roles are, and and trying to yeah. uh, make sure that you know people are, are in certain locations so they're not going to be killed by the serial killer and you yeah, know and yeah, make it. and removing paranoia from people so things mm. aren't triggered i mean this is a game that actually i really enjoyed playing i did it was a lot of brain power for me it made me quite tired having to think about yeah. it all but then i was being the Evil mastermind. evil mastermind and it's tiring to be an evil mastermind i mean there's yeah, a reason I'm, emperor palpatine looks so rough yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was playing from the player's handbook mm-hmm. um so obviously i didn't have the access to the same information that richard had during during this just as like you you know a player wouldn't have access to the gm's information um but i did have things from this that i could look out for and i, I could work out from here on the back of my book i had a turn summary so i knew what was happening um, this this is a game that, as I say, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I like games where you try and identify hidden roles and things like that. I actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I prefer this game to Time Stories, which mm. is a much better known game involving time travel, travel and looping and things like that. Yeah. I just want to say why I prefer it to Time Stories. It's entirely down to the mastermind. Not Richard specifically, but say, the concept. Did such a good job, it makes you prefer this one. Is the concept of the mastermind? Mm. Uh, you know, I like full co-op mm-hmm. uh, for games like this, uh, but I think that Time Stories suffers because there's no variance in it. You, you've, right, as you go yeah. through the stories, you, if you turn over the same card, the same thing's going to happen every time. Yeah. You know, um, yes, there are things in Time Stories that I like that aren't in here. Um, like the you know the the combat, the dice rolls, the fact you actually have a character you're playing. In this, it's quite 
unusual because you're the protagonist, but you don't have a character. There's nothing to represent you specifically yeah. on the board. It was a while after I was reading the the book that I suddenly realised that. Because yeah. I tended to think the protagonists were the characters. But yeah, I thought no, that it, would be one of them. The protagonists are Matt and Heather and yeah. they're sitting at the table doing this. Yeah. So, so yeah. kind of like you're, it's almost like you're the evil mastermind trying to make these things happen and we're the good masterminds trying to trying to stop it. Yeah. We didn't classify ourselves as masterminds though. <laughs> nothing nothing classified us that well, way. Well, you were trying to be friends with these yeah. characters, weren't you? So, so we were putting goodwill tokens on and moving them around trying to mm. keep them alive, which makes us the good guys. Yeah, um, you're definitely better than me on that, I think. But it's, it's less immersive in a way than time stories because you're not going oh this is my character and this is what my character's doing mm. you're just like the evil mastermind you're in the background pulling strings and trying to maneuver events in a certain way yeah. um even so i still prefer it to time stories uh because you've got those variables so as richard was saying you know even in the first scenario it gives you starting information but then after that it's down to the mastermind to make things happen <clears throat> and and yeah. to maneuver events um Whereas with time stories, you do the same thing, you get the same result. Right. In this, you do the same thing, the mastermind's going to do something different. Mm. So you've got that variation. It's got a lot more replayability because of that. And in the uh, basic box, in the core box, you get 10 scripts, don't you? Yes. So you've got de 10 different scenarios. It teaches you to make your own scenarios, your own scripts. That we you were can talking about that do. afterwards. Yeah. yeah, we thought all you really need to do is pick some characters out of the character cards and then assign them some roles. And the uh, the mastermind writes them down, mm. and that's it. You've you've made your own scenario basically. So. Yeah, and you can mix up the scenarios so much themselves. So, mm. it's it's got a huge amount of replayability. Time stories cost more than Tragedy Looper, and comes with one scenario in it, and then each other expansion costs almost as much as this base game. What, so now, you can only play it once, Time Stories, basically. You, people play it more than once because the idea is is that each loop you learn more information and you go back and you redo it again from certain, from a certain yeah, point. Yeah, okay. But I can't be bothered to do that. I'll, you know, be, and, and that is because of it is going through the same steps, mm. pretty much. Yes, you can make certain different decisions, but so much of what you're going to be doing, you've already done in the first playthrough it should be called time story it feels a bit too repetitive and as i say mm. there's no variation i like the full co-op i like the puzzles you know it's got some interesting combat mechanics but overall you get a lot more game with tragedy looper than you do with time stories right um and in addition as i say to these there are two expansions each giving you more scenarios i mean there's there's uh more scripts in this right now than there are for the entire time stories with expansions All right. and this yeah. is one expansion for it I'm not saying I dislike time stories I just mm. think that this uh, does that idea of travelling back in time and trying to correct things a little bit better but yeah. the way the game's played and everything is very very different because obviously with time stories you've got your set of uh, cards that make out the location and you're moving your guy to certain parts of that um but i do think personally i rate this game higher than i'd rate time stories and we even played it wrong yeah even well, we... though it's less immersive as well than time stories because of right. you don't have your own guy yeah i was just gonna talk about how we um because there was only there was three of us playing yeah we should have used the extra deck um so that there's always the same amount of protagonist cards going down yeah 
So basically, the mastermind gets to put the three cards down, and then the protagonists get to put three down. One, um, one per protagonist, isn't it? Yeah, one per protagonist. But like whoever's the leader that time, if there's only two of you, then they get to use the extra deck. So yeah. really, those guys should have been able to be doing more moves. Mm. And I think it would have been a very different game if you'd been able to do that because you it took you all your time to kind of avert the tragedies. Mm. Whereas they could have been putting more goodwill tokens on mm. the characters' cards, which basically represents them making friends with them. Mm. And then when they've got the right amount of them, they can ask that character to use their ability. And um, that might just help them find out who some of the roles are. Mm. One of the reasons is that, and the mastermind would have to be on his toes for this, um, some of the secret roles would prevent them from using their ability. Yeah. Like, if they're a conspiracy theorist, then they, they won't do a certain thing because... Yeah, they're too paranoid. Or if they are a serial killer, then they won't do other things. So, yeah, it's pretty obvious, really. But um, you can't. Once they declare that they're going to ask the character to use a thing, it has to be the mastermind that actually puts the tokens on everywhere. And it didn't matter too much in our game, but I think in other games that could really make a big difference because you can't have the characters just saying, "Oh, I use this ability," because the characters can just say, "Well, the protagonist can say, I want to use that ability," and the mastermind will then like do it and it just makes him more likely mm. to think actually they're not allowed to do that <laughs> they don't know why i just and have if, to say they can't <laughs> yeah and you can't say why can you you just have, you can't say about oh, it, yeah. this character's brain role prevents you from doing this or something you just say no it doesn't happen yeah <laughs> that doesn't happen that doesn't crickets yeah <laughs> so for me i i enjoyed this game i enjoyed the way it, it played the way it flowed mm-hmm. i love the artwork and the art style but i, I like anime art anyway um mm. richard final thoughts on the game um it very much seemed like one that i would want to play again i mean not that one time but i thought i would love to play it as the um as one of the protagonists mm. as well maybe with uh, either you or heather being the, the mastermind because I mean, once you, because you guys have had the chance to play it one time anyway, mm. so you kind of know a bit more how it works. I think it's one that will get easier as we go along, and then we'll be able to be concentrating more on what the characters actually are, what's going on, rather than mm. how to play the game. Mm. So for me, I did enjoy it at the time, but it seemed more like it has potential rather than uh, I think it's potentially could be far better than that first time that we played it oh yeah yeah Yeah. definitely um so those were our our thoughts on the game i'm recommending this above time stories for the reasons i've mentioned hopefully uh you'll be able to check this one out yourself tragedy looper from z-man games the bard's corner hello everyone this episode we're going to do a quick recap on the albums that have been coming out at the end of March. Um, some new albums coming out this month, next month, and some new tour dates. Okay, so first up, uh, Synaptic, uh, Justify and Reason. Now this is a follow-up to their 2014 album, The Mechanism and Consequence. That's out right now via Snakes on Fire Records in the UK. On the 24th we've got One Desire. They're releasing their self-titled album. Um, this is an album with Jimmy Westerland and Andre Lindman. It's one I've been listening to quite a lot the last couple of days. It's a very mm, good, really good, very good AOR album. I thought 
if you're a fan of Heat, uh, Brother Fire Tribe, Def Leppard, Journey, Eclipse, this is definitely an album worth checking out. There's some really good tracks on there. Falling Apart, uh, Straight to the Heart, Do You Believe, Buried Alive, Her. My personal favourite from that album is a, one of the early tracks called Apologise. What did you think of that album? Um, I actually quite liked Love, liked Love Injection. Love Injection, but, um, yeah. I found it quite, actually, it was quite um, uncomfortable singing it uh, along to it, though, because you'd go around sounding like you're trying to say, I, I love injection. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> so were... I had to watch that. The kids started repeating me. Yeah, you, you were all right. It's when uh, when our little boys tried to join in yeah. on singing that one, wasn't it? Um, another album out on the 24th, uh, Prog Rock. This is a purely instrumental album, Ape Shifter. Uh, that's they've got their self-titled debut album out on the 24th um black diamonds once upon a time that's out on the 24th as well uh, that's been released through aor heaven uh, they've got some e eu tour dates in april and may but they're not coming to the uk yeah and um it was on the 10th of this month 20 dark seven um had their album momentum out yeah uh, that was a hard rock album that was a very good album. Yeah, still, still enjoying um, listening to that one actually, it's really good. Yeah, there's a couple of the heavier tracks on there reminded me a little bit of a, a heavy Jeff Scott Soto in the vocally, mm -hmm. but that's one worth checking out. On the 24th, Lion Cage are releasing the second strike, that's through Pride and Joy. Also on the 24th we've got Steve Hackett of Genesis and that's the album The Night Siren. Yeah, this one's been quite uh, well promoted, you can read more about that on our, our website as well. Plus, we've mentioned previously, Steve Hackett's got quite a big uh, tour uh, arranged for the UK this year. Just to recap, Night Rangers Don't Let Up album, uh, House of Lords Saint of the Lost Souls, and this year's only 10 out of 10 album so far on Paradise Rock UK, uh, Monumentum by Eclipse, that's out on the uh, 24th. Those last three albums, Night Ranger, House of Lords and Eclipse, are all coming out through Frontiers Music SRL. And actually, while we're talking about Eclipse, uh, we mentioned on the last ep episode that Eclipse have some tour dates coming up in the UK. They're actually going to be performing with One Desire. So if you like melodic rock, those shows are going to be absolutely fantastic. So you'll be able to see One Desire and Eclipse together uh, in April. We're going to be trying to get to that one, aren't we? Yeah, we're coming to our, our town for that, so we're hoping to get to see that. So we'll let you know what it's like. Speaking of tour dates, in May, Snake Charmer have 12 UK dates. Yep, and also Martin Turner of Wishbone Ash has just announced a Mammoth 33-date tour. Now, during that tour, is it going to be performing Argus in its entirety. This tour is going to start on April 21st, and it's going to be going until the 3rd of November. Okay, so just a quick preview of the new albums coming out in April. Uh, on the 7th of April, Six Impossible Things are releasing We're All Mad Here. That's going to be through Tanzan Music. Now, I've only heard one song of the album so far. We'll be doing a full review of that in April. Uh, but it had very strong folk elements. And then we've also got a new album coming out by Quiet Riot. That's going to be entitled Road Rage. Then on the 21st, we have Crazy Licks, Rough Justice. Labyrinth, Architecture of God, Adrenaline Rush, Soul Survivor, and Treat, 
the road more or less travelled. That's one we're looking forward to. Yeah, quite yeah, like, quite like treat. Quite like treat. We've seen them live together, haven't we? My first Fire Fest. Yeah, your first, first concert quite... was a Fire Fest, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a, quite a big. I was uh, pretty spoiled. <laughs> a big chunk of melodic rock heaven for your first time at a concert. Oh yeah. Um, also, Unruly Child. Now we mentioned last month that they had a new album coming out. They've also got a new box set coming out. That's going to be called Raining Frogs. That's going to be out at the end of April. And on the 28th, uh, Kings of Broadway are going to be releasing their self-titled album through Pride and Joy Music. Now, Kings of Broadway are an Italian uh, group of metal artists, really, but they've joined together to make a hard rock album. Uh, Now, I would say that if you're a fan of Blackstone Cherry, Nickelback or Alterbridge, and strangely enough, Nasty Idols. There was a couple of tracks on there where I really reminded me of the sound of Nasty Idols. So if you're a fan of any of those, check that out. There's a few quite good songs on there. Berserk, Dancing on the Edge of Time, First Day of My Life. There's also a cover version of Counting Stars, isn't there, By originally by One Republic. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite a good cover version. So be sure we'll be bringing you more information about all of those albums uh, once we get into April. Yeah. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. So, in the meantime, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. Oh, on this segment of Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're tackling another big issue of the day. Mm-hmm. Today's issue, which science fiction vessel or ship would you like to live on? Yes. So, it's more of a question of... Like looking to the future, isn't it? It's yeah. like very important for for us. So, yeah, this is something that I've often thought of because when you watch science fiction, you often want to kind of put yourself in that mm. kind of role, and you like to kind of. It is quite immersive, and there's just certain programs where I kind of think it would be so great to not just to be in the program, but just to kind of live your own life on that ship. That's the kind of thing I, I used to think about quite a lot so yeah we both decided to list some ships that we would like to live on mm-hmm. and there's also a few that we wouldn't be so keen on but just it's just good to talk about why yeah. <laughs> well, that why we're passing that one over <laughs> there's a couple of ships uh, that I absolutely love mm. but would well not only would I not want to live on but I wouldn't be able to live on so for example uh, some of my favourite ships in science fiction is the Colonial Viper Right. And the X-wing fighter. Ooh, that, Neither just... of those have space for comfortable living, do they? Well, that would be more your car. Yeah. <laughs> like if you were living on the Galactica or something. Yeah. If you could, well, as it as it happens, the Galactica is one of the the ships that I had on my list, mm-hmm. and I like to think it would have plenty of colonial vipers that I could just jump in and take for a quick spin. Yeah. Around that, the that would be system. one of the that would just be one of the perks of living on the Galactica, and for one of those reasons is why I have um, Battlestar Galactica as one of my ships that I would quite like to live on. Normally, the ones that I've picked, because I think we have very different criteria of what we've decided to yeah. on with these And things. we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I've been gone more for like which ones look kind of comfortable and um, which ones I, I think I could live a good life on, basically. And Galactica doesn't really fall into that, <laughs> that category because it is... Because he's not an intergalactic warlord. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that. There's a few things that save Galactica, though, even though it does look kind of 
like old and dingy, like whatever, whatever kind of series classic, you want. Classic, Richard. Just... The word is classic. It looks classic. No, no, I'm going. <laughs> You're going with dingy. I'll go with classic. Okay. I'm being good... like one of the people that would have seen it as a museum, like one of the yeah. Capricans that thought, why do they still keep this ship around? But, but that's um... because it's still the reason it's still there is because it's so old. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. The, the Battlestar Galactica was so old that it didn't have the integrated computer systems mm. which the Cylons then disabled. Yeah. Which yeah. is why the Galactica was still going when the Cylons attacked and why it yeah, survived. Yeah, which is great. So it survived that. But, you know, you've got a choice between that and a ship that does have network computers and it just is a little bit more mm. comfortable to live an entire life on. Yeah. That's the thing. But the thing that saves Galactica for me is that it comes with a large fleet. Mm-hmm. So... Of vipers and... Well, no, I'm thinking of the civilian fleet. Okay, yeah. You, you can like, you wouldn't just be stuck that on that. That feels slightly fleet. like cheating. Yeah. G- G- well, well this is the Galactica, thing. So it gives me an entire fleet. Well, I'm just no, no. <laughs> yeah, but we're not thinking you're, about. You're the guy that gets the three wishes from the genie and uses his first wish to wish <laughs> for infinity wishes. wishes. This is the thing why I think we're thinking about different things. I'm not thinking about having the Galactica to command and then yeah. like having a whole fleet to command. I'm thinking more like. If I get tired of my life there, whatever role I play on that mm-hmm. ship, I can just like schedule a, a trip over to one of the other ones. For um, a bit of R&R. And... Yeah, because I've got that one that's like a nice garden with a dome and everything. Mm. I know, I think they blew it up, but, you know, for a while they had that. I mean, Dude, they blew everything up at some point. Yeah, they did. Like, they threw Galactica into the sun, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing that saves it because I did wonder whether to put Galactica on the list because mm. um, it does seem like it would life would become a bit unbearable after a few years <laughs> on that. But well, they, they do start yeah. to go a bit stir crazy in some of the episodes for being on there. Yeah, so that doesn't really bode well no. for it, making it your home. No, uh, one good thing is that the the Galactica, when it's fully provisioned, can maintain a crew of two thousand eight hundred mm-hmm. for several years. So yeah. it's definitely one of those ships that are built to last. Um, I and you're gonna have plenty of space if it's just you. Yes. You know, uh, maintenance is gonna be tricky on a ship that size if it's just you. But it for probably me, comes with the chief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the Galactica is just a classic sci-fi ship. You know, I yeah, love the original series. It. You'd feel so cool yeah. being on there. <laughs> and a... even you know, you, you look at how you know the modern technology and special effects mm. have improved so many ships. The Galactica in the reboot didn't really change that much. And the Vipers, the Vipers of the original series, look so cool. And they they look look so tough. Yeah. Honestly, those were ships that you want to get behind if you're going to engage a Cylon fleet. Actually, I always used to think how cool would it be to see a colonial Viper in a dogfight with a TIE fighter and an X-Wing in a... a a, In a dogfight. I don't know why I nearly said cockfight. (laughs) You're thinking about Gundam. That's, that's, that's a different, that's a different <laughs> series. Uh, and uh, an X-Wing and a dogfight with a, a Cylon Raider. Now, mm-hmm. one thing I do think that they improved on in the um, remake was the Cylon fighters looked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much cooler. But They were Cylons. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah they weren't flying it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was really cool. But the actual Vipers themselves and the Galacticas didn't change much because they didn't need to. They'd found a great design, yeah. a great look, and they stuck with it. But, but they could make it look more lived in, yeah. they? which was really cool, I thought. So the Galactica actually featured on both our lists, but not as our, our main ship. Not as our main ship. I'm going to go with, from the start, 
of my list. I just these are my first choices, um, because this is the ones I used to to watch um, a lot of when I was younger, and I used to kind of think it would be so cool to mm. live there. And that is the Enterprise. I don't don't mind which one. Um, I was thinking about the the Enterprise D would probably be my first choice, but. The original series Enterprise would just be so cool to live on as well. It, and it was it? so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The original series Enterprise yeah. is just a, a thing of beauty. Yeah. And again, it's another ship that is timeless, that mm. Constitution class vessel. You'd be living in such a cool 60s world if you were on there. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just like a different adventure every week. We all learn a life lesson <laughs> for about three years. Yeah, we really. That, that would just be. Like so interesting to live on, I I thought. But the Enterprise D. Now I um kind of grew up watching the Next Generation, so that's the ship that I kind of saw more of. And I mean that one just has so much more mm. on it, doesn't it? I mean it's it's vast and has so many different like futuristic kind of facilities on it, mm. like the holodeck and stuff like that. But even without that, it just looks like it would be such a, a comfortable living environment for one thing and also it goes to such interesting yeah. places as well so that was definitely be my first choice the enterprise when i was thinking of functionality mm. um the enterprise came pretty much at the top of my list as well but mm. i was thinking of three particular versions of the enterprise right the a well sorry not the a the original constitution because as i say well, it's just no so timeless yeah. No mm. A, B, C, <laughs> or D. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, still not swearing. And you're doing very well this week. I'm doing very well. This week. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> I'm going to get myself a biscuit. Now, the original Enterprise was such a classic look to it that, mm -hmm. and I actually grew up watching the original series. I mean, you're older than me, but <laughs> by like 13 days. Yeah. But uh, my dad used to have. Um, Star Trek on in the living room whenever it came on the original yeah. series so I remember watching the original series before I watched The Next Generation mm. uh, my dad liked The Next Generation as well it's just that he prefer always preferred the original series because yeah. that was what he grew, grew mm. up with sort of thing um, so that would just be on and mum would be disapproving Honestly, I love my parents <laughs> but we'd, we'd have um, the original series on so I loved that mm. however the Enterprise D is better than the Enterprise in every measurable aspect isn't Everywhere. it Everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then if you take it further the Enterprise E is so much better than the Enterprise D you know so, what weirdly I never really considered that one did you not no I, I, like I thought it. when I was thinking of Enterprises I thought the best of the Enterprises is is the E mm. uh, the, the Enterprises that I love are the A and D so those right. were the, would be one of the two and it's because of its medical bays its yeah. replicators um, its holodecks mm. you know you, you, you're never going to get bored if you've got a holodeck the transporter yeah now the transporter would apply to other ships on this list because there's be, more yeah. than one Star Trek ship on my list uh, however I just love because I've got friends that are all around the world mm -hmm. and I would just love to think you know what I'm going to get my friends together in a bar somewhere tonight or I'm just going to go and visit them for a barbecue or, or for some good fun and board just games. Just beam into the house. Just, just <laughs> beam right to their front door. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got friends that are like, you know, nearly 24 hours travelling to get to see. Mm. I could just beam there in a few seconds. Yeah. I mean, how amazing would that be? So that would be for any of the Star Trek ships. Though. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, so, but for, so for functionality and comfort, it has to be 
um, either the Enterprise D or E for me. Yeah. However, the Enterprise isn't my favourite ship on this list. Right, okay. Well, I think the reason I didn't pick the E is because it's mostly been in the films. Yeah. Well, I think that's the only time it's been in. And though, like you say, it is a better ship, mm. isn't it? But the D, it just looks like their life was a lot more relaxed. And <laughs> compared to the E, which was like faced the Borg and it was in the Dominion War and faced... And the D did have, uh, the Enterprise D did have Riker and Geordi, mm-hmm. two of the coolest men ever to be in space. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't need to worry about how cool you are while you're going around the galaxy because you've got them on your ship. So that's fine. I'm not sure actually, that might be, that actually might be an argument against the Enterprise D mm. because it's sort of like, well, you know, if you're on Voyager, for example, you've got to be cooler than Paris and Kim. Right, or as cool as Paris, (laughs) Paris and Kim. Whereas if you're on the Enterprise D, you're going to be going into a bar, and you're going to be walking in with Riker and LaForge and Worf. You'd have been nobody would have been looking at you. You'd You'd have been okay in the early series because you'd have had Wesley at least when he's trying to when he tells them jokes and he's got the cigar. You'd you'd be you'd be cooler than Wesley if you were there at the right time. Yeah. But other than that, you just there's just no way if you're on the Enterprise D you can think, well, I'm one of the coolest guys on this ship. No. And this Wharf. Let's not forget Wharf. Wharf is so cool. And yeah. we, can we really talk about the Enterprise D without talking about how amazing Captain Picard is? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No. Well, you, with, you, I I think I'd just be kind of proud to serve on the ship mm. with like Captain Picard and also the the coolest man in space, like you say. I mean, I wouldn't really mind. I wouldn't yeah. be trying to compete. I did sort of think when I was thinking about this list though that I was imagining it more being just me yeah. on these ships not yeah. the crews of those ships yeah, but then I think we're thinking about repair and maintenance way. would have been a terrible issue if, if that was the case because well, it's impossible I wouldn't know to a hyperspace <laughs> from a, a tricorder half the time. No, that's a, that's a trouble. Yeah, it would be impossible to live on them on your own. Yeah. So you'd need a crew. You would need a crew. So it might as well be the crew from the series. Yeah. <laughs> Going away from Star Trek momentarily. Oh. Another okay. <laughs> another ship that made my list was Red Dwarf. Yeah. Now I didn't think of that one, but I mean I do love Red Dwarf, and one of the things I love about that is that you would have an entire ship to yourself yeah. basically like that's just what we're talking about like yeah. running a ship by yourself which they did whilst yeah. being incompetent and eating yeah. curries the whole time yeah i mean you, you could have holly you could have a hologram that i suppose holly does most of it yeah. that isn't arnold rimmer <laughs> yeah but although if you know... you're lucky he might invite you to dinner yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, he might show you his holiday when he was looking at the telegraph poles. <laughs> but the thing is, Lister didn't have a choice. Yeah. It had to be Rimmer because mm. Holly chose. And uh, so, like, if, if, if so, Lister who would Holly choose for us? That's the question. I'm not, not going to name names. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just it think would... about the worst person <laughs> from your life. <laughs> And that will be the one that you spend. So that's the downside of the dwarf. Basically. So basically, you'd wake up and find you've got eternity with me. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're just there with an H on your head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, you think about it, the red dwarf. Hmm. It's by the time we meet it in the series, it's travelled over three million years. Yeah. It survived radiation leaks. It survived tons of weird stuff. It's been. It survived being turned into a planetoid. <laughs> it's it's it it survives everything the galaxy throws against it. It's durable. Yeah. It's uh, it's got Starbug. 
Yeah, you can zip around in Starbucks. And you've seen well. how many times that crashes, and that's always back up in no <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, that's always fine, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the crashes itself is a problem, but it's definitely built to last and crash. Yeah, found Charles' time. <laughs> so that was... The... And that, but that one has the cat. I mean, we're talking about like being in space with cool characters. Oh, that's a thought. Who's cooler, Geordie or the cat? <laughs> no, yeah, that's a trouble. <laughs> I mean, Geordie's not got the cat's moves, mm. but... Yeah, but he has a basic level of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to say that Geordie is cooler than the cat, don't we? Basically, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so not in the cat's mind, but <laughs> <laughs> well, the cat would just make himself look big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, another non non Trek ship. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that some of my thoughts on this matter went to how I could use the ship to fit in with my evil plans. Well, that's got to be. I mean, that's an important part of your life, isn't it? Yeah, evil my, plans, so, my yeah. evil plans are quite important to, to me. It factor in that. And for that, there are there are two ships, both from the world of Star Trek, mm-hmm. that I thought is hard to beat on this list. Right. The first one is a ship that, again, is one of my favourite science fiction ships of all time. Mm-hmm. The Romulans, the Deridex. Oh, yeah, it's cool. That warbird is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's like, like twice the size of the Enterprise D. It's um, it's more powerful. It uses a singularity drive as opposed to yeah the normal. It just sounds cool. I mean, yeah, so basically we've got a black hole in the middle of it. Yeah, that's really cool. And so it implodes and sort of explodes if if all goes. I mean, I'm hoping I mean, if my the home worst happens. Make... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if the worst happens, all evidence of my evil plan will be removed with a singularity drive. But at least um, you exploded inwards. Yeah, so that's pretty nice. I mean, it's nice to know. And I just can't help but think that if I had the, the Deridex or my other. Uh, mega powerful ship that made the list the Borg Cube mm-hmm. that I could use it to become an interplanetary dictator yeah, yeah and that definitely would fall in, definitely fall yeah. in with my evil plans I mean if, yeah if you were using a cube you'd have to assimilate all of Earth <laughs> which yeah. an, an assimilated Earth isn't ideal no <laughs> <laughs> and resistance has proven that it's not futile yeah I mean they they keep proving them wrong on that point, don't they? Yes. Um, Humans. But the Borg Cube, again, is unlike other ships, and it is a very cool ship. Yeah. Probably bring back bad memories for Patrick Stewart if if I turned up one day in the Borg Cube. But <laughs> yeah. moving on. Yeah, they are, they are great ships. Yeah. Um, we also have to talk, since we talked about Star Trek, we have to talk about Star Wars as well. We are required in the Meddlesome Meeple's Code of Conduct to maintain mm. a strict balance between Star Trek and Star Wars We are very times. strict with ourselves on that. Yes. And the punishments are horrific. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, so um, I, was think- I was still going along the lines of where I would be um, satisfied to live a an actual life. I mean, there are really cool ships in the Star Wars universe, mm. a lot of the coolest ones are also evil, um, so I decided against the like Empire Star ones. Destroyers, and yeah, the Death Star. Started, yeah, that kind of thing. But I, although, just think if you did live on the Death Star, mm. how much you could enjoy all the money and gifts that you're getting from the people of Earth for not using your Death Star. Yeah, yeah, you could hold the world to, to ransom quite easily with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, again, your evil plans really. My evil kind plans of, kind of yeah. incorporate the Death Star, but I didn't actually put the Death Star on my list because once I've used it, you can only use it once on the Earth. Alderaan yeah. proved that. 
Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah, and I don't know how it gets around as well. I mean, obviously there is a way, but like, how does it get from A to B or from? It's from, hard to from, see any engines from Alderaan to Yavin, <laughs> which is where it went. Apparently, maybe Darth Vader uses like a giant snooker cue and just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Death Star corner pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so that's more of a station than a ship anyway. It isn't is it, really, even though it does move around. And I would prefer Deep Space Nine. Nine to the Death Star. Yeah, I mean, if we're going by coolness, I mean, Deep Space Nine is a very cool place to live. Mm. The only reason I didn't put that or the Defiant on was for one reason the Defiant is ridiculously small, and also so much like intrigue happens in DS Nine. I think it's not necessarily that as much as it is if there's one thing we've learned from Deep Space Nine, it's don't live near the wormhole. Yeah, basically, it's like a pinch point between two quadrants, and all the politics goes off there. And all the war, yeah, it's too strategic that location, isn't it? Really, it's if you have an empire, you want Deep Space Nine, mm. but you wouldn't want to call it home. No, as much as cool as a place it would be to live, yeah. you don't necessarily want to call it home. Well, Cisco has to go back to Earth, doesn't he? And yeah, have some jambalaya. <laughs> so, yeah. But so there's, yeah, that your one, Star Wars ship would be yeah, the Mon Calamari capital ship, because beautiful vessel. Yeah, and absolutely flipping massive as well, isn't it? I mean, and it's like one of the core of the Rebellion ships. I mean, there are, obviously, there are far cooler ships on in Star Wars, but um, like I've said with some of the others, I wouldn't really like to live a whole life mm. on them. I mean, the Falcon would be amazing. I mean, you could go into so many different places, but I mean, you're always getting chased by the Empire and having to smuggle, and it seemed like... I mean, Han Solo somehow lost it in the middle between episode 6 and 7. And it just seemed like that would be a lot of stress. But mm. uh, Mon Calamari is one where it would actually be good to live. You'd be like in the heart of the Re- rebellion action anyway. And on top of that, you would be able to feel obliged, quite rightly so, every day to walk around going, It's a trap! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you would hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on that bar as well known for the... Uh, you can see a trap coming from a mile away, kind oh, yeah. of, especially when it's just been sprung by the Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> so, on to another vessel. Mm-hmm. F- from my list, this is the Serenity. Mm. Now, this is the Firefly class vessel from the series Firefly. From Firefly. Mm. Also, the Serenity from the Serenity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which isn't confusing for people who aren't familiar with... Nathan no, Fillion at all. No, that's it. So <laughs> it's basically a um basically been living like a cowboy life in space. Yeah, essentially. That, which is amazing, which is so cool. And I do love the Serenity. You know, when you yeah. I mean I've got I've got paintings of it in my house. You know, it's um yeah. it's a uh, and several models. <laughs> I'm not obsessive at all. Um but there's something about the Serenity that's genuine and realistic and yeah. honest. Yeah, know. it's a proper like freighter, like a yeah. freighter that a, a captain could afford when he's just come back from war, that kind yeah. of thing, isn't it? So, yeah. And I think, you know, I could live on there with my family, a few friends, and we'd be able to travel around, take little jobs. Mm. You'd have a like, real close-knit hub of people, whereas on the Enterprise, you've, you're there with, like, a crew of over a thousand. Yeah. It's not going to have that sort of close-knit community feel to it, is it? Yeah, I can imagine... I mean, as much as I'd love to live on the Enterprise, I can imagine me having a problem with the rules at the Academy or something, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of the other characters have. 
You'd uh, get in but... trouble for saying shut up Wesley every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> Although that seems to be the catchphrase on the enterprise. <laughs> but yeah, the, and the serenity, you just kind of free and yeah. doing what you want, which and you can't is take wonderful. this guy from me. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about the Serenity is the fact that you have to climb up and down ladders to go to and from your rooms. Yeah, it's not a very comfy ship, is it? Like in, in your bunk. But it's and, it's very yeah. cosy, and I I like that element mm. to it. Yeah, coziness has to be like part of it when you're thinking mm. about which kind of ship you'd like to do. And I would definitely like to be a part of that crew. Mm. Yeah, if I was going to have a crew with me. I'll be part of a crew, and we're thinking, you know, if you're on the Enterprise, you'd need the crew. Mm. When you're on the on the Firefly, on the Serenity, I definitely want that crew with me. Maybe, yeah, it'd be brilliant. Even with the fugitives, with the the sister that might stab you in your sleep. <laughs> I mean, she's for is cool. And anyway, yeah. if you know, if you've got any health problems, you're going to need Simon Tanner yeah, to heal you. Yeah, yeah, he and would you, help. And if you. you're going to keep that ship up in the air, you definitely. Definitely, definitely need Kaylee. Yes, yeah, she's like the only one that could keep it running, isn't she? Really, so you, you can't keep that ship going without without yeah. Kaylee. And just on a, a similar line of that, of like being free, I thought of Moya yeah. from Farscape because a uh, similar type of crew, really. Obviously, in a very different universe, but that would be one that. Partly because I love that kind of universe or their their kind of mm. end of the universe uh, so much anyway, like all the characters and everything. But just being a like a, a group of friends on the ship, mm. just trying kind of trying to keep it going. Um, I think that would be brilliant. And also the fact that Moya is actually a living ship; uh, she is actually a character herself. So I think that would just be um, a very nice environment to be in, even though it's. It's a bit of a hard life, similar to Serenity, isn't it, really? And I think on a similar note to to that, for me, I'd also have to throw the Millennium Falcon in there. Yes. For the exactly the same reasons I'd throw the Serenity, that close-knit, small group Mm. of people with an incredibly cool-looking ship. Yeah, and that can run with even a smaller crew, can't it? I mean, basically, Han and Chewie can run that. Yeah. I mean, you've got... um, People say about it's a little bit weird because of the... You know the way that it's shaped at the front, uh, mm. but the reason that it's shaped like that is so that it can um, it can dock with Corellian freighters. Right. So that indent in the ship that would connect to it, okay. and the reason yeah. the cockpit's out on the side, which does look a little bit strange, I have to admit, is so that the the pilot can actually see that because he needs to be able to see that to dock properly. Right. Okay. Yeah, so there are reasons cool. for the strange design, but oh, it yeah. still looks cool. No, I thought that's that's just cool. I mean. It, Star Wars is great for unusual ships, so I did think that was weird when I first watched Star Wars as a kid. But I yeah. also thought it was cool as well. I mean, like you think, yeah, why do you have the cockpit in the middle? I mean, when you give some more thought, you think it's mm. so that you can like tell where you're going and stuff yeah. like that. But then you think, like, how much do you need to know? Like, when when you're using computer, like onboard computers mm. and stuff like that. I mean, you can control it from anywhere basically, yeah. and that is really cool to have it on the side like that. Mm. So. Yeah, and you've got the quad cannons that spin around and everything. Yeah, it's just it's just a cool ship, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is a cool ship. And you can make the Kessel run. Um, there is another couple of ships distance. that we'd like to I'd like to mention. Okay. Slave One, not necessarily yeah. a ship I would want to live on, but again, another really cool ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Liberator from Blake Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is probably the most advanced ship that we've mentioned. Yes. 
Um, it doesn't look great, but there it is. It's an incredibly advanced vessel. It didn't make my number one spot. Or the Castle one. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain why, you, when, why it didn't make my number one spot when I come to my number one spot. I have got a lot of other ships that I've thought about living on. <laughs> just, so <laughs> you know, just so you know, I'm not limiting myself to yeah. things. <laughs> um, so only really two other ships that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. The first one being my favourite ship in science fiction mm-hmm. altogether. The Klingon Bird of Prey. Right, so that were the Burrell class. The Burrell class. Um, now, the Klingon Bird of Prey first appeared in Star Trek Three: Search for Spark. Oh, because they stole it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was originally planned to be a Romulan vessel. Oh, was it? Uh, which is why uh, when they, they decided when they made it Klingon to keep the you know the tail feather design on the underside of the hull. Right. That was because it was going to be a Romulan vessel. It's kind of weird that they both use birds of prey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but they they decided to use it as a as a Klingon vessel instead of Romulan, but kept mm. quite a lot of the like the Romulan features to it. Right, that's cool. I think it's just such a beautiful vessel. It's sleek. I like the green again, like the the Deridex. Yeah. Um, the the artwork on on the ship with the uh, hunting bird. It's just a beautiful vessel. It's a small ship. It's light. Mm. You could run it with a minimal crew. You can run it invisible. You can be invisible. <laughs> it's got its teleporters. We yeah. do know from Star Trek it's not the comfiest place to live on. No. But if you've got plenty of space because there's only a handful of you, you know, that's all you need. There's enough room for a humpback whale. Well, <laughs> I did wonder where that sentence was going to go and finish there. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, my all-time favourite vessel in any sci-fi franchise is the Klingon Bird of Prey. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's not my number one choice. It's not. It's not my number wow. one choice. Like, shall I, can I do some more before? Definitely, we... and then we'll come to our number ones. Well, phrasing. I've <laughs> Stargate. Um, I was thinking about what ships were in that, and I do like the Prometheus. I like the yeah. fact that it is made from a blend of Earth design and also Asgard. So it's a hybrid. It's, a, yeah. it's beautiful, isn't it? So it kind of way. seems like Air Force in a way, but mm. then it's got like the proper Asgard teleporters that are even better than the gold ones. They've mm. got them stupid rings. I don't know where they come from. And the Asgard vessels themselves are amazing, aren't they're they? They're very really cool, yeah. And um, I think later on they get beam weapons, don't they? That mm. might be on the Odyssey or like the Hammond or something. Mm. But I, I just picked the Prometheus because that was like the first one. And it would just be so cool to be able to fly around that kind mm. of a, a universe and for it to be a proper kind of Earth vessel, but from our time, mm. but with alien design as well. The other one I thought of, probably for one that I wouldn't live on, was a go at all mothership and though they are pretty cool yeah. i love the way it's a pyramid flying through space yeah. but you'd have to be worshipping this sort of megalomaniacal melodramatic only if we have the, the crew on, crew with us if yeah, we if it was just your it. yeah i see what you're saying but they they do look fantastic don't they i mean i love history <laughs> yeah. and the pyramids you know having that pyramid design yeah but in space in space that is just perfect for me yeah I mean it didn't fit in as much with my evil plans as the ball cube did but you mean that's not evil enough for you (laughs) (laughs) we seem to be uncovering a deep part of my (laughs) side yeah more I just worry about where these uh, little meeples big talks are going to go to (laughs) tiny meeples so um yeah, I just thought it'd be so cool to be walking down the corridor on the ship and it's all like gold and mm. hieroglyphics at the side. That would be awesome. I mean, if you were flying it with a, a free Jafar army mm. or Tokra, 
then that would be amazing. Any Toker in particular? Freya. Yeah. <laughs> Annie. Yeah. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I did think of it as being a gourd mothership, though, rather than a, a Toke one, because it's the originally comes from them, really, doesn't yeah. it? So, I mean, we don't want to be on too much of a flight of fancy with this kind of thing. I mean, oh, no, we already I mean... think about science fiction. I mean, we've got to have some kind of limits on it. So, yeah, that that was kind of the end of my list of TV ones, really, and TV and film. Um, there probably would be other ones. I mean, I've written down the Nostromo on here. But I that's... nearly did that with mine. Yeah, but that was more just to say it's really cool. And I think yeah. I probably would if I would decide to live on that. But obviously, terrible things happen on it. But you'd it's like, not you'd just, just that. You'd, you'd live on it if there wasn't a xenomorph infestation. Yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, some but people also... complain about termites, but xenomorphs. <laughs> I know. I mean, you'd really know if you've got a xenomorph. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you might not <laughs> yeah. until too late. Yeah, until it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> If you're watching that monitor with the blipping thing, you might yeah. know. But, um, and then it's game over, man. Yeah, game some over. of the problems with that, though... I mean, it's, the great thing about that is it's so 80s cool. Mm. Um, well, it's one of the 70s, but it's so amazing, um, the kind of designs on it. Some of the weird things about it is that it's got so much steam on it. Like, when you're walking down the corridor, it's like the corridor where people walk, and it's just got steam coming out into it. It's like, why is this ship steam powered anyway <laughs> and like we're in space yeah. um, well they've got to have somewhere to cook their vegetables <laughs> yeah but yeah that that is a cool ship but there'd be too many problems I mean the computers are completely rubbish on it as well I mean I know that it's the best they had in the 70s but it's meant to be in the future um, but still that's pretty cool mm. putting commands into a computer that mother into it and yeah. go into that computer room and talk to it I think that's really cool so yeah the Nostromo is really awesome but um i would my my number one choice is the enterprise d really so just because it's like the most advanced and also they seem to have the, the best lifestyle on there so that's that was my number one choice so what is your number one choice it is the tardis all right yeah time and okay. relative dimensions in space mm-hmm. now let me explain why i've chosen the tardis because it's ahead of so many ships that I love mm-hmm. far more than I love the TARDIS right okay the TARDIS is the key to all of this right. you've got lots unlimited space inside the TARDIS because it's bigger on the inside mm-hmm. um, you've got everything you can imagine inside the TARDIS yeah. you know, you, there's swimming pools and all sorts in there isn't there mm. um, it's easy to park yeah, you can you, you, with trying to imagine trying to land the Dideridex somewhere on planet earth you need a lot of space. The TARDIS, yeah. you can get into a little alleyway. Yeah. Um, and it just appears there. It doesn't have yeah. to actually land. It just goes... Yeah, and that's a cool sound effect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then it can go anywhere mm. at any time. So I could visit the past. I could visit the future. Mm. I could yeah. go to another reality. Now, here's where I say it's it's the key. Yeah. If I've got the TARDIS, I don't have to choose just one ship. Oh, you were talking about me wishing for more wishes. <laughs> I could use my TARDIS to visit the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And get my bird of prey. Yeah, you say basically a bird of prey with a, a police box in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then I can just pop across to the Enterprise and mm. use the holodecks whenever I want to. I'm really glad you've been thinking about this practically because it's like some a lot of ships are really cool aren't they mm. but you're just thinking about what you can do with the TARDIS yeah. and that is more what it's about I mean you would never be bored no. if you had a TARDIS so no. 
yeah, I think that's a, a good idea for the, yeah, so you could probably turn up while I'm on the Enterprise. I'll be like one of the ensigns just like fixing something in a Jeffrey's <laughs> tube and you'll kind of turn up on the bridge <laughs> in your TARDIS. So, yeah. I, uh, I just think that's, having the TARDIS means that you can do anything, go anywhere. A mm. lot of these ships are amazingly cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the Nostromo as well. But this, yeah. A lot of the ships we've talked about. I wouldn't turn any of them down if someone turned up tomorrow and says, oh, do you, you want this? Yeah. Uh, but with the TARDIS, mm-hmm. you're just not limited. You're not bound by anything because you can go anywhere, do anything. Yeah, that is a good choice. And and you get to say wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're describing... The question would be, who would be my companion? Well, you can pick anyone. I imagine it'd probably be Heather, but yeah. I think I'm going to have to pick Heather. <laughs> yeah. Because I love my wife and co-meeple Heather. So do you think you would be a time lord on it? I don't think I'd much. I don't think I'd be a time lord as much as a time meddler. Okay, yeah, that's a good. That's a good place for ending our list, really, because that is what this is all about, really. How meddlesome, meddlesome could I be with a? Yeah, I mean, we'd never know. No, I mean, this history would I keep changing. For all you know, I could have a TARDIS, and I, I may have already altered events. Yeah, yeah, you've just been acquiring board games and stuff <laughs> while we're not looking so, yeah. most of these board games you see behind us don't come out until 2025 <laughs> yeah and we can uh, complain about them already yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that would be my number one choice okay so I think that's been some time well spent hasn't it really it because has. um, it is important to think about these things because we don't want to just watch the sci-fi programs and let them have all the fun we also want to use our imaginations a bit and yep. to we got to put ourselves in that kind of uh, universe that's what it's kind of about mm-hmm. thinking about more that is possible than uh, than what we have at the moment so I'm looking forward to the future and we'll have all these ships yes. <laughs> so, or I'm... not if I get my TARDIS oh <laughs> No, leave my ships alone. If you've got a TARDIS, you just have that. <laughs> and then just get your bird of prey. That's not on my list. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. thank you for joining us for this little, uh, say, little conversation. Mm. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples. And it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Okay, welcome to Tome Talk. And this week... Um, Matt is going to tell us about a book called The Last Kingdom. That's right. Um, Now, The Last Kingdom is a book by Bernard Cornwell, a very well-known historical fiction writer, particularly probably better well-known for the Sharp books, Mm. uh, largely in part because the Sharp books were then adapted into the uh, series of films starring Sean Bean. Uh, But the book I wanted to talk about today is The Last... Straight away. So. Yeah. <laughs> Any film that, that film that Sean Bean manages to make it into the sequel is a little bit different for Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah. very well there. <laughs> so that's why people have heard of Sharp. That's why people have heard of Sharp, yes. Mm. Um, but The the Last Kingdom was one mm. of his books that was released back in 2004, part of a 10-book series now. The Last Kingdom is another one of his historical fiction works that focuses on a fictional character... Mm in the backdrop of real events. Right. So, without going into, into spoilers, it's told from a first-person point of view, mm-hmm. and that is from the point of view of Uhtred, Lord of Bebenberg. Yeah. Uhtred. Uhtred, right. son of Uhtred, whose father before him was called Uhtred, and his father 
before him was also Uhtred. Wow, it's a family tradition. It's a family tradition that the eldest son becomes Uhtred. In fact, the main character in this book is Mm -hmm. was originally called Osbert, right? Or Osworth, I can't remember which. But he's then, when his older brother dies, he's renamed Uhtred. So it's that strict. It's that. It's (laughs) that strict. It's written into the deeds of the castle that it is passed from Uhtred the father to Uhtred the son. So. The air always has to be called Uhtred. Like this family tree will never not be confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they all sign it. It's yeah, it's almost like it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts or Yeah. You know, it's like almost that. like a t- it becomes a, a title as much as it is a name. Yeah. <laughs> but I am Uhtred. I am Uhtred. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically and this isn't a spoiler because you'll learn this right at the start of the of the book. Uhtred himself says that this is a tale of blood blood feud mm-hmm. the tale of a woman and her father the king now the backdrop to this saga is the viking invasions and uh, battles against wessex back mm-hmm. in the time of alfred the great who's actually one of only two english monarchs to be referred to as the great mm-hmm. um you've got this first first person vo- point of view of this young boy who sees his father killed he is betrayed by uh, somebody without going into spoilers and as a result of that he's actually raised by Danes so he becomes uh, quite an interesting mix of both Saxon and Viking ways and then a series of events propels him from being there to being in the service of King Alfred Mm -hmm. of Wessex so he is helping Alfred to fight off the Saxons and essentially keep the dream of a of a united England alive. Uh, what some of the interesting things here as well is that he, as I say, he was raised by a priest in the Saxon ways mm-hmm. to a certain age, right. and then after that he started to become uh, Danish in his ways and manners and religion, mm-hmm. which meant that by the time he entered Alfred's court, he knew how the Saxons would want him to portray himself, mm-hmm. and he didn't care. He just went about being himself and doing his own thing. Being kind of fighting, like, and uh, uh, you know, Alfred is known as being a very pious king, isn't he? Yeah, he went Uh, on that pilgrimage and everything. Yeah, he was a very pious ruler. So you've got uh, this most pious of kings, Alfred, with this warlike, Danish acting, Saxon, um, pretty arrogant guy actually. But it's it's hard not to like him for that as well. Right. so, and you, Alfred knows that for him to keep Wessex alive, to keep the Vikings from completely taking over, and uh, to lead his armies, he needs Uhtred. Mm-hmm. But he also despises almost everything that Uhtred stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's quite interesting. And as I say, it's you've got this this one guy who is fictional. Mm-hmm. And then so many real life characters around you, and it's it, Bernard Cornwall is very very good at bringing these characters to life. Yeah, I thought thought about that. It's similar to in Sharp, obviously mm. he will be a, a fictional character, but the obviously it's in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, and a lot of what happens is actual history, mm. and obviously it has Napoleon and a lot of the uh, British people will be 
um, historical figures. That's well. right. And uh, in this case, obviously, we're talking about the year 866, mm -hmm. where it all starts. So you can learn a lot about the backdrop of Alfred and mm -hmm. and the uh, you know the we the Wessex, Mercian, Northumberland, is East there, Anglian kingdoms. Uh, well, that's that comes into Would it that be because. A spoiler? <laughs> uh, I don't think the Dane law is a spoiler. It happened. Uh, yeah, you know, no, but I mean, like, <laughs> not not that it existed, but yeah. that like it might be a plot point at some point. Yeah, well, the happens with that. Uh, the the Danes wanted to um, have Dane law, which was having control of England, and they wanted to call it Daneland rather than Englerland. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Daneland. Yeah, and as opposed it, to Denmark. And actually, <laughs> you know, we're we're talking about something that's very intrinsic to. The history of England as well, aren't we? Because yeah. even in, in you know the areas that we both live in, there's still Danish bloodlines. Mm -hmm. People have D Danish genes in them in the places we come from. And a lot of the place, a lot of the places are named with Viking names as well. Yeah. When you get like that down to what the names actually mean. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's quite interesting to see some of those events, even though it's through the eyes of someone fictional. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to sort of see all those different events and you learn a lot from from his books as well but mm -hmm. it's something that Cornwall does with a lot of his different book series mm -hmm. he creates a fictional character and then surrounds them with real historical people mm. because he's a historian as well as a storyteller and it's a really great way to be able to learn mm -hmm. as well as you know have something that's really enjoyable to read and to me Uhtred is one of my favourite characters created mm -hmm. by Bernard Cornwall and one of the things that prompted me to, to use this time talk to talk about that mm. was because last night uh, season two of The Last Kingdom started on BBC, right? Um, which is a, an a adaptation starring uh, Alexander Draymond as Uhtred. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really sure about that casting <laughs> at first at all. Right. And it was probably not until the very last episode of the first season that I started to enjoy that. But now I get it. Yeah. That must have been what he used to audition. Yeah, that, that scene. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think you know if you enjoy, for example, uh, some of the the Viking dramas that you see, or if you like historical fiction, then The Last Kingdom by Bernard Cornwall is definitely one to check out. Mm. So Matthew thought that was good. <laughs> Tell us what you think in the comment section below. So thank you for joining us for that episode. We'll be back uh, in the next couple of weeks with a, a brand new Medicine Meeples episode. We'd also just like to point out that we, you can now subscribe to individual segments of the show as their own audio podcast. So if you want to subscribe to uh, The Quest Report, you can find it on iTunes as The Quest Report Gaming Podcast, Tome Talk as Tome Talk Reading Recommendations, Tiny Meeples Big Talk, and The Bard's Corner Music News. So there's those four shows that you can now subscribe to, as well as the full Medicine Meeple show on iTunes. So thank you for joining us. We hope to see you again soon. Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyscar and the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples 
Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.